morning, GBC. Uh, it, is, it is so good to be with you in spirit this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, please open it up to Psalm chapter 1. That's where we're at this morning. Uh, there are a lot of contrasts in the psalm that we're looking at this morning. The word not in Hebrew occurs six times in our text, and the word but occurs three times. This is a song of contrast. There are happy people in our text and there are unhappy people. There are blessed people and not blessed people. And our estate is determined by whether we are righteous or unrighteous, godly or ungodly. It truly is a psalm about two ways to live. So let's read this together here and I'm going to pray. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Father, this morning as we open your word, I do ask that you would speak so clearly into our lives, that you would show us Jesus, that our hearts would adore him. Holy Spirit, that you would uh, illuminate your truth to us and shape us by your word. God, would you give us hope in this trying season, in a season that feels really weighty? God, would you give us hope and cause our hearts to sing? We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever heard of something called the Singing Highway in the Netherlands. Uh, there's actually a few of these highways throughout the world. But there's these highways that have been engineered that uh, with these grooves along the road, that if you drive the speed limit over those grooves, the, the vibrations from the road will cause a tune to be sung. It's, it's, it's amazing. You can, you can look this up later. Um, just to, to drive a certain speed limit on the road and you hear a song. I mean, how amazing is that? That makes me think, if life is a highway, which someone once said that, if life is a highway, how can we have hearts that sing in every season, no matter what we're facing, no matter how light life feels or how heavy life feels? Uh, well, our text this morning in the psalm tells us not that we need to abide by a certain speed limit, by a certain law, but that we need to abide in something, that we need to abide in something. And here's what we see this morning. We see what you delight in affects how you live today and reveals your tomorrow. It reveals your destination. Uh, we see this in verses 1 through 2, what you delight in. We see in verses 3 through 4 how that affects how you live today. And in verses 5 through 6, we see how this reveals your tomorrow. So first, let's look at this. What you delight in, in verses 1 through 2. Let's read this again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Uh, the person talked about here is referred to as man, and they are a representative person uh, that is an example of a godly person. 
and that person is described as blessed. The blessed man is singular, but then all these other people here are very much so plural. It's a, it's a significant crowd, actually. Being blessed in Scripture is, is essentially being given a biblical high five. That's what it means to be blessed. It's, it's God's congratulatory formula for us in Scripture. Uh, the word blessed actually uh, means being in the state of happiness that is produced by the very hand of God. It's being in a state of happiness that's produced by the hand of God. This is actually the most frequent Old Testament word. Isn't that amazing? It's the most frequent Old Testament word. And when it's applied to God, it's a reference to praise. So when we bless God, it's a reference to praise. But when it's applied to people, it's a reference to being in a state of happiness that's produced by God. And just with that in mind, I kind of just want to ask you this morning, I wonder, are you happy? Are you happy? Maybe you'd say to me if we were hanging out and talking, well, Josh, that really depends on the moment, honestly. Or maybe you'd say to me, who could be happy at a time like this when I think about all that's going on in the world? But let, let me take that question even further. If life didn't change for you from this moment forward, if your situation never improved, no matter what that is, if your marital status didn't change, your career didn't progress in the way that you wanted it to, your body never felt better ever again, okay? Could you truly be happy in life? Could you truly be happy in life? I think this is definitely a question that the world is asking right now. I mean, I went to the most uh, legitimate source ever, Google, okay? And I just did a Google search and all I typed in is, how can I be? How can I be? I just wanted to see what would come up and sure enough, right there at the, almost the very top of the list is how can I be happy? You can see it right there. Uh, right above it is how can I be sure, which apparently is some famous song I've never heard of. And right underneath there, you see how can I become rich? How can I become a millionaire? Which is definitely tied up into our happiness. And right there, even below how can I be happy is how can I be tested? for COVID-19. Then amazing, I would think that would be at the top of the list in this Google search, but still the question, how can I be happy, surpasses how can I be tested for COVID-19. Guys, this is good news this morning though, because we see a deeply happy person in Psalm 1. In verses 1 through 2, describe a person who knows what he wants and he knows what he believes. And he takes his stand and he's really happy about it. He doesn't think about what he's lost in giving his life to God. He is only concerned about what he has gained. Do you, do you see first, this blessed person is described as someone who doesn't do certain things. We are told what he doesn't do. Look what he doesn't do. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Well, this is a, a reference to the voices that you receive and the way that you think, right? He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. It says he doesn't stand in the way of sinners. This is a reference to how you actually behave. And then third, it says he doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers, which in Jewish culture, where you sat was showing where you belonged. Where you sat was showing where you belonged. So this person is saying, I don't think the, like the way of the world. I don't behave like the rest of the world. And I don't belong with the rest of the world. And then we get this contrast, but the blessed person delights in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night, which is just a reference to uh, constantly. How, how can I live like this man in a world like ours? 
How, how can you and I do that? Well, notice the man. He doesn't just tick all the boxes and say that he believes in the inerrancy of Scripture and the sufficiency of Scripture and the total authority of Scripture for his life, although I'm sure he would definitely say that. And that those are, those are doctrines that, as a church at GBC, we wholeheartedly love and embrace those truths. But that's not what he's doing, is it? That's not the emphasis. It isn't just believe those things and check those boxes. It says he delights in the Word of God. He delights in it. See, the word law or Torah, it's often translated as the word teaching. So this person delights themselves in having God as their teacher. They find joy in having God as their teacher in life. See, blessedness comes, according to Psalm 1, first by meditating on the Word of God, and that meditation leads to delight. You don't delight, you don't just find yourself delighting and then you meditate. You meditate and that meditation leads to delight. And if you're an honest person, you might ask, well, how does meditating on the Bible lead to delight? There's just, there seems to me to be a lot of rules and regulations and, and that kind of thing. How does, that, how does having God as my teacher lead to delight? Well, you first have to ask, what is the Bible about? What should you be looking for and delighting in? Well, guys, Jesus says that the scriptures bear witness about him. That's what the scriptures primarily are doing. They're bearing witness about him, right? So, you see, the Bible isn't merely giving you a few tools for sin management in your life. It's not merely just giving you Christian principles for how you should live your life. It is bearing witness that there is a Savior that has come and died to save sinners, so the Bible fundamentally is showing us. It shows us God not treating us the way that we deserve, but mercifully treating us the way that Jesus Christ deserves. Oh my goodness, if I'm meditating on that, how can that not lead to delight? So we're told here to meditate. What, what is meditation? Well, literally the word meditation here in the Bible means to mutter or speak over yourself. It, if you did it in public, people would think you're kind of crazy, uh, according to the, what this word literally means, okay? See, meditation happens, essentially, when you aren't just flying through a text in order to accomplish a task, right? But you're, you're slowing down. It's like if you're going on a drive through a, a beautiful Oregon mountain forest highway, that might be really enjoyable, it might be really beautiful. That, that happens nonetheless when we read the Bible. But meditation would be like pulling over on the side of the road, It'd be like turning off at the viewpoint and getting out and stretching and taking in the scene, staring at the landscape, taking deep breaths, just focusing on the beauty before your eyes. That's the idea of meditation. It's not just driving through a place, it's pulling over and it's staring. I'm just curious, when, when was the last time, if you're just being honest, that you meditated on the Word of God, where you pulled over? See, when Elizabeth and I were dating in college, and we were apart for a summer, uh, we would write each other letters. I don't know if you ever remember doing that. If you've ever done that before, it's that thing you use a pen and paper and put an envelope and actually put a stamp on it, right? Remember letters? Okay, we would actually do that in college. Um, I, that one summer we were apart, she was in Gresham, I was in Southern California. Honestly, I was miserable, you guys. I was smitten in love. I missed her so much. And so I came and I visited her in Gresham. It was actually the first time I ever came to Gresham and I really fell in love with this place. And uh, after we spent a few days together, I had to go back to California and uh, let's be honest with you, okay, I borrowed 
a small bottle of her vanilla lotion that she always wore because it was like her scent, okay? I took that bottle of lotion back with me because I missed her so much and I would, from time to time, just let that lotion scent fill the air and as I'm articulating this now, you know, it's, it's definitely probably embarrassing. I'm probably sounding like a creeper or whatever, but I was, I was smitten, okay? I just wanted to, to smell her scent. I missed her so much. And then when I would get those letters from her, I would, I would just read over those letters slowly. You know, I wouldn't just receive that in the mail and view that thing as a task I had to accomplish for the day just in case she called me so I wouldn't say, oh, I haven't gotten around to reading that yet. No, I, I read it slowly. I read it over and over again. I would read words backwards and forwards and just meditate on the things that she was actually saying to me, right? Guys, if you delight in something, here's what I'm saying, you don't rush through it. That, that, that's what you do when you have a chore or a task to accomplish. You want to move on to something better, right? But to delight means that you realize that what you're actually thinking about and listening to and reading and contemplating is the thing that is better, right? And just like I read Elizabeth's letters, I didn't enjoy them because I like reading or because there were just interesting things that were interesting to think about when I read them. It's because I, I enjoyed them because I loved her. Right? And just the delight in God's Word, guys, it's very much the same. It's very much the same. I delight in it because I delight in the God of the Word. I delight in it because I delight in the God of the Word. I delight in the one who the Bible is revealing to me. I delight in the one who's actually speaking to me through the Bible. As the Bible even testifies about itself, all Scripture is God-breathed. God's scent is on every single page, and He has really good breath, okay? But I'll never delight in the Bible if I don't delight in the God of the Bible. And honestly, if I, if I don't delight in the God of the Bible, but I delight in the Bible, just like I delighted in Elizabeth's letters, but not Elizabeth, I'm really missing the whole point. Maybe, maybe you've been in a long season, maybe way too long, where you can't remember the last time you pulled over and you just meditated and you delighted. You might even remember a time way back when, when, when you would look forward to, to getting up early or going to bed early just so you could be in God's Word and pray and listen for His voice in those quiet times of devotion. If you've ever experienced that, I bet you kind of long for that. And I really think one of the best things that is happening and can happen for you during this season where we must stay at home, I think the best thing that can really happen, one of the best things, is is a renewed devotional life, a life where we practice being present with God, a life where we are still, where we aren't bustling about as much. Even if you have a job as a teacher or in the medical profession or first responders or even construction, if your job is busier or even the same, you know that your life is still slower, right? You're not rushing your kids off to to their sporting events. You're not planning all these different events. Your, Your weekends aren't booked out with all these other plans or social gatherings. God has created opportunities for stillness that you've never had in your life. I believe this is one of the greatest opportunities before us to return to a vibrant, devotional life where we pour out our heart to God and we delight in His Word. God has pulled the car over for us. See, delighting in God's Word is where true happiness begins and it leads to a radically different life. We see this in verses 3 through 4. It says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, 
and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Instead of uh, listing in descriptive detail what this godly, happy person is like, the psalmist gives us a picture. The psalmist says this person in verses 1 through 2, they're kind of like this. We get these two similes here that are contrasting who the wicked and blessed people are from the first two verses. And they are likened to an evergreen tree and chaff. It says first, he is like a tree, which is what? A very established, permanent, living thing. And where, he, where is he planted? By streams of water. What this person needs in order to survive and thrive the nourishment that they need on a daily and moment-by-moment moment basis, they have. They are, they are not in short supply of it. It doesn't come and go with the changing circumstances of life. Well, what does this tree do? Well, apparently it's a fruit tree because it's bearing fruit when it's time to bear fruit. And so you notice two things fundamentally about this tree. Just think about it. A tree doesn't bear fruit year-round, but it does so in our text when it's time. It bears fruit when it's the season to do so. Okay, so it's not always bearing fruit, but when it's time to do so, it does. But secondly, it's not this fruit dies and is revived. No, the, 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 the fruit it bears is, is not for itself. Just fundamentally think about that. A fr- the fruit that a tree bears is, is for another. It's for others. Just think of the nature of fruit trees. Do, do, you, do they bear fruit for themselves? Not at all. They bear fruit for another. This gives us an observational clue as to an important aspect to what a truly happy person is like. We produce things for the good of others and the glory of God. Jesus likened himself in the Gospel of John to, being, um, to, to God's people being branches that abide in him that bear fruit for the glory of God. That's, that's not much different than what we're seeing right here. But more than just being a fruit tree, the second thing we see is that its leaf doesn't wither. Its leaf doesn't wither. This is an, an evergreen tree. It endures all seasons, winter, fall, spring, summer. Right? It doesn't shed leaves. Well, what, what does this mean? What's this mean for us? Well, at minimum, it means that where this tree is planted and the nature of this tree thrives in every season. Right? No matter what weather or storm or drought or famine it experiences, they bear fruit, they don't wither. Let's just be honest, let me ask you, is this realistic? Do you read this and go, that's really nice. There's no way that could be true. Do you think this is realistic? Is the psalmist irrational here? Right? In all that he does, he prospers. His leaf never withers. Right? What about this idea of all that he does, he prospers? I, I read that and think, really? Really? Like a Bible-saturated life brings prosperity? If we mean smooth sailing, then no, obviously not not in the life of Jesus or any godly Bible-saturated life. Is that true? Right? They suffered, and it's actually why they, saw, they suffered, because their life was Bible-saturated. But if in prosper, we mean the favor of God, the forgiveness of God, the smile of God, the guidance of God, the protection of God, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, experiencing victory in Christ, then yes, you guys, absolutely. This is realistic. We have a heart prosperity in every season. 
See, this prosperity here is not talking about health and wealth. It's about rivers of living water that your life experiences. When life is at its worst, your heart still sings because your roots are drawing life from this stream. See, there's a stark contrast here again. What are the wicked like? They're not like a tree. They're not even close. They're not even a bush, right? What does it say? It says chaff. Do you know chaff? Do you know what chaff is? Uh, One thing I've enjoyed doing for years now is um, roasting my own coffee, okay? And and when you buy green beans of coffee, you you put them in in, uh, the machine and roast them. And through the heat um, uh, and, and fire, the beans are roasted and those beans are slowly being cooked and they're slowly roasting. And then they experience certain transformations through the roasting process. You get to the first crack right? And then uh, a bean experiences a certain kind of transformation to where it's actually a bean that you can grind and, and drink and, and, and make wonderful, glorious coffee. But every time you roast coffee, there always remains at the end all this chaff, all this chaff. It's the flaky remnants from the bean that are weightless, they're worthless, right? A roaster, they'll, they'll try to shake free the chaff and separate it from the actual bean because it, it doesn't add anything to the coffee. It takes away from it. So, so you want to get rid of it, right? It's just a, a pain more than anything. It's just the leftover stuff. It, and that's the exact image here. It's the stuff that you don't want. It's weightless. It just blows away with the wind. And it's exactly the same as, as true here. Chaff suggests two different things in our text. It suggests instability, I mean, there's no future or permanence for these people, but also this, this weightlessness of it, right? The, it's communicating worthlessness. There's no dignity in these people in the end of the, at the end of it all. I think for most of us, um, this is difficult and interesting just to navigate this idea of, of bearing fruit and being an evergreen in, in every season. Just think about how we navigate the weather. Most of us, we check the weather in order to know what kind of clothes we need to wear that day, or what kind of activities that we can actually enjoy. But think about a farmer, right? A farmer might do the same. They might want to check the weather so they know what to wear or what activities they can enjoy, but they also check the weather for a whole different reason. A farmer checks the weather for the sake of their crops and to know what the vitality of their life is going to be, the livelihood of needing to bear those crops to survive in life. Guys, as the people of God, we are told not to worry about the weather, right? They have a blessedness, they have a happiness, they have a vitality that thrives in every season. The people who aren't of God need to pay attention to the weather though, because if they are like chaff, the wind blowing or the rain dumping or the famine hitting, it really affects their sense of happiness and livelihood in a whole different kind of way. So let me, just, let me just ask you, as we get to this part here, I mean, what is it that you are becoming? What are you becoming? The fruitful tree or the driven chaff? Everyone is becoming one or the other. Remember, this is a psalm of contrast. Let me ask you, how do you become like this tree? According to Psalm 1, how do you become like this tree? Will you let your mind and your behaviors and your belonging, right, your identity, be shaped not by the world, but by God. You do what this tree is doing. You drive your, the roots of your soul deep into the water of the gospel so that your thinking and your actions and your identity are all shaped by it. 
See, it's when the gospel becomes the anchor of your soul, right? When whatever storm hits, you, you stay put, right? It's when your roots go so deep that whatever season you pass through, whether it's win- winters of loneliness or droughts of depression or storms of temptation that strike you, your soul can remain steadfast. This is, this is how this, this works. See, there's, there's a classic book called Sit, Walk, Stand by um, a man named Watchman Nee. And in his little book, he describes three positions that you and I are given once we receive Jesus into our lives. And all he does is he looks at the letter of Ephesians and he notices these different positions that really correlate here what we see in Psalm chapter 1, where we see people walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers. And in Ephesians, he takes note that because of Christ and what he's done for us, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 says, we've been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, now in light of the gospel that you've received and been transformed by, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And when Paul gets to Ephesians chapter 6, he tells us to clothe ourselves with Christ, to clothe ourselves with the armor of God and to stand against the evil one to do so. This is exactly what we're doing when we talk about sinking our roots deep into the water of the gospel and becoming like this tree. We don't sit, walk, stand with these people in, verses, in verse 1. We receive Christ and we realize now that we are seated with him, that we walk in a manner worthy of that gospel and we clothe ourselves in him to stand. Guys, we, we delight in this and what we delight in affects our today, but it also reveals your tomorrow. Look in verses 5 through 6. It says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. William Shakespeare famously said in his play, As You Like It, All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players or actors. They have their exits, and they have their entrances. If you like to think of life using Shakespeare's metaphor, we are all born and we all die. We all enter the stage of life and we exit the stage of life. And so Psalm 90 verse 12 says things to us like, teach us to number our days that we get a heart of wisdom. Guys, a heart of wisdom is obtained in part by understanding that the part you play on the stage of life is a pretty short part. You and I, in the grand scheme of eternity, don't have that many lines. Now here in Psalm 1, the psalmist wants us to see that how you live your life today reveals your destination tomorrow. And when I say tomorrow, I'm referring to the day that you exit stage right. Verse 5 says what? Therefore. It begins with a therefore, and this therefore, guys, really matters, really matters. Notice in verses 3 and 4, the present tense of the words. He is, right? Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, the wicked are not so. They are like chaff. The wind drives away. And then verse 5, therefore, the wicked will not stand. Do you see this? 
What does it say? Present tense, verses 3 and 4. Therefore, future tense. There's a direct correlation between our current life and the experiences of our future. Today, therefore, tomorrow. That's what the psalm is saying. What you delight in, in part, is revealing your destination. What you worship, you will inherit. Verse 5 tells you that a day is coming when the wicked will not stand in judgment. And it's important to always keep in mind that judgment isn't a word that means condemnation. It's, it's a word that means evaluation. So one day you will stand before God and you will be evaluated. You will be judged. And the wicked will not stand. They will not stand with the crowd of the righteous. Here's a congregation of righteous people in contrast to this congregation of the wicked in verse 1. Why? Why will they not be able to stand? Well, verse 6 tells you, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. See, the next line contrasts this and says, The way of the wicked will perish. There's the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked. This is road. This is path language. Meaning the way of people who don't delight in the word of God who don't get their life from God, whose roots don't go into that river, that way leads to ruin, right? The path ends in destruction. It doesn't end in paradise. The person who doesn't find their delight in God winds up seeing that their, their way of pleasure, of unbelief, of mocking, of self-deception, or whatever it might be, their way of thinking, their whole lives just comes to an end, right? It doesn't last. See, this is the first time and the only time in this psalm where God is the subject. And we are told that He knows the righteous. Right? This is the determining factor of your future. Right? The question isn't, do you know God? The question is, does God know you? That's the question. But the letters that Jesus writes in the book of Revelation, they're called the seven letters to the seven churches. Interestingly, each letter that Jesus writes to those churches begins with, I know, I know. Jesus knows. We see in places like 1 Timothy 2, chapter, uh, verse 19, Paul says, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Jesus said just as much in John chapter 10 that we glanced at last week, and he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. As how amazing is it that Jesus knows his people, and his people know him in the very same way that the Father knows Jesus, and Jesus knows his Father. We know that verse 6 is not merely saying that the, the Lord knows about the righteous. That we know that's not what it's saying. And in turn, it doesn't just mean the Lord doesn't know about the wicked. As He obviously knows about everyone and everything. This is a kind of knowing that has affection and approval attached to it. We say to each other this idea all the time. We, we ask each other, do you know so-and-so? And we say, yeah, I know them. I know them. But often what we mean is that we know of them or we know things about them. Uh, at various points in my life, um, I've encountered people who have, who've met my dad and then they meet me and they hear my last name and they'll ask me, oh, do you know Dave Howith? Dave Howith is my dad, okay? 
They'll say, do you know Dave Howith? And I say, yeah, I know Dave Howith, right? But I don't just know stuff about Dave Howith. I don't just know of Dave, okay? I know Dave because Dave raised me, right? Dave took me camping. He played football and baseball with me in the front yard whenever I asked him, right? Dave told me about Jesus. Dave Howith baptized me. Dave Howith had the hard conversations with me. He provided for me. He loved me. He drove me to college and dropped me off. And now he comes and visits me in my house in Oregon about three times a year now. So yeah, you could say, I know Dave, okay? That's the kind of knowing here. It's, It's affectionate. It's personal. It's not detached. God doesn't just know about you. He knows you. Right? If, you if you're lonely this morning, if you're tired, if you're weary, and find sweet encouragement from God in these words, He knows you. This is the destination of tomorrow for those who plant themselves by the streams of the water of life. It's the destination of the ones who find themselves delighting in not just the Bible, but the God of the Bible. Do do you find yourself here? Do you find yourself, in verse 5, in the congregation of the righteous? Or if you're really honest with yourself, you'd admit that you find yourself more along the other path. You walk, stand, and sit in places that are not of God, but if you were being honest, you're like, I'm actually more comfortable there. Are you an evergreen or are you a chaff? You see, it's pretty silly, honestly, if you think about it, to long for heaven when we don't want heaven now. Right? Right? This quote uh, here on the screen for you in J.C. Ryle's classic book, Holiness, has often convicted me, and it reads, quote, if you could enter heaven without holiness, what would you do there? What joy would you feel? What holy man or woman of God would you sit down with for fellowship? Their pleasures are not your pleasures. Their character is not your character. What they love, you do not love. If you disregard a holy God now, why would you want to be with him for eternity? If worship does not capture your attention at present, what makes you think it will thrill you in some heavenly future? If ungodliness is your delight here on earth, what will please you in heaven where all is clean and pure? You would not be happy there if you are not holy here. Or as Spurgeon put it, sooner could a fish live upon a tree than the wicked in paradise. Guys, here's the truth. All of us, when we really encounter someone who's deeply righteous, we become ashamed of our own unrighteousness. I mean, I'll never forget in college taking a class with a guy named Tom Wolfe, who was a, um, a missionary in India. I got to take this class with him. And uh, man, when that guy prayed at every class, even a couple times each class, when that guy prayed, you were immediately aware, man, this guy has been with Jesus. It was obvious. He's a very godly man. You knew he delighted in the word of God because he lived differently. He was like an evergreen if I've ever seen one. Now, people like Tom, they might not spiral me into shame and despair. They might inspire me. But nonetheless, when I'm around someone like him, and if I were to read Psalm chapter 1, I wouldn't think, oh, there I am in the congregation of the righteous. That's not, that wouldn't be my first thought. I would go, no, I'm right there in that word after nor. 
in verse 5. I find myself more being like, yeah, I'm that sinner. As we read words like J.C. Ryle's, and, and we may be comforted, maybe in our best moments, and find ourselves saying, yes, I love what they love, the people who I would find in heaven, according to J.C. Ryle. But in our worst moments, in those moments where we, we yell at our kids again, or we lose our patience again, or we have a big blow-up fight with our spouse over something really petty, or we go back to the bottle or the website or the ungodly relationship, we find ourselves wanting to be counted among the sinners and the scoffers, and we don't want to stand out. We don't feel like an evergreen. We don't feel confident that the Lord knows the way of me. That's where we find ourselves. So praise God, though, that being counted among the congregation of the righteous, that's not a spot that you earn. That's a spot you receive. We need to see passages like Galatians chapter 3, verse 11 that say, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. This law that I'm delighting in, I'm not justified by it somehow? How? What am I supposed to put my faith in? Faith in what? Well, Galatians continues, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, quote, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's you. So that we might receive, not earn, receive the promised spirit through faith, through faith. I can delight in the law because Jesus fulfilled it. Guys, Jesus is the true and better blessed man here. He's the truly godly one. Jesus in the flesh, he is the one who never once walked in the counsel of the wicked. He never once stood in the way of sinners. He never once sat in the seat of scoffers, but he delighted in the law because he delighted in his father. Yet the only one who could truly be counted righteous was actually counted among the wicked. As Jesus, the true evergreen, instead of instead hung on a tree and bore our curse so that there could actually be such a thing as a congregation of the righteous. And now by faith in him, you find yourself on that path, by that river, delighting in God's word, knowing that one day you will be in that congregation, not because of you, but because of him. Guys, this is exactly why, exactly why Jesus says in John chapter 15, I am the true vine and you are the branches. He is the true tree. We are the branches that abide in him. How do we abide in the true evergreen? Well, John chapter 15 tells us by having God's word abide in us. It's delighting in God's word and letting it shape our thinking, our acting, and our belonging. Guys, are you you happy this morning? Are you happy this morning? Truly happy with the kind of happiness that endures all seasons. Doesn't mean you fake it, you never feel sorrow, but there's there's a deep blessedness that you share and carry through all of life. 
that even endures through a global pandemic or the suffering of people that you love? Are you happy? Charles Spurgeon once said, a half-committed Christian is the most miserable person on earth. He is just enough in the world to be miserable in the presence of God, and he's just enough into God to be miserable in the world. If you find yourself walking, standing, sitting in the counsel and pleasure of the world and not delighting yourself in God, then misery is your reality, to be sure. Happiness will come in bursts, but it's never sustained. It never is an enduring blessedness that comes from only the hand of God. And I hope we see this morning that Psalm 1 is opening the door for us to enjoy the smile of God. As in Christ, you are blessed, like today blessed, by God, in Christ, with all blessings, in all circumstances, through time and eternity, to the highest degree. As may this be a season that calls us back to an eternal blessedness of delighting in God's word. God, I do pray that in this moment you would turn our hearts back to you. God, that we would find ourselves longing for you, maybe in ways that we haven't longed for you in a long time. God, would you whet our appetites? Would you stir our affection for Jesus? God, would we come to your word later today and tomorrow and the next day and just find ourselves wanting to go back, longing to be in those moments where we are meditating, we're pulling over, or just to stare at the beauty of who you are and all that you've done for us. God, we pray you'd make us a people who delight in your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to end by giving you guys this benediction, probably the most classic benediction from Numbers chapter 6. It says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I really miss you guys. I love you. I pray you have an amazing week and that you experience the blessing of God in your life. 